Hello and welcome to episode 12 of Inherited Will, a One Piece podcast. A weekly podcast discussing each week's manga chapter, news, and a reread of past chapters. My name is Thomas. And I am Jordan. And a very happy Stone Ocean confirmed day to you, Jordan. Yeah, we may have to change this to a JoJo-themed podcast once that happens. We'll talk about it. Indeed. I sure do hope that turns out to be what happens. But no particular housekeeping announcements this week. We'll be jumping straight into the Manda discussion, chapter 1009. Here we go. Yeah, got a nice color spread to start it off. A lot of fun outfits to look at. Indeed. All our boys dressed in winter attire. Jinbei is among them. I like that a lot. And I also like how some of them are just kind of like labeled with stuff that they do. <laughs> yeah, I was I was looking through all those for a bit earlier. Got a kick out of it for sure. Indeed. Zoro just labeled three swords. That's the most prominent one. Sanji says, I will cook on him. Mm-hmm. You can't see the full tets, but presumably the back of Brooke's hood says skeleton. <laughs> yeah, it'd be weird if it said much else there. Indeed. And Frankie is labeled as a hentai cyborg. So that's all pretty tight. <laughs> that's what I've always labeled him as. No doubt. And uh, also notably, Tama has stolen Luffy's hat, much to his dismay, because I guess they were a little bit short on hats for these little statues. But, you know. It's a big deal. I guess the straw hat looks better than uh, Chopper's, but I probably would have gone for his first. I mean, the straw hat certainly matches better, but, you know, I think Chopper would be more willing to give up his hat than Luffy seems to be in this particular scenario. And there's uh, our Tanuki friend, who is part teapot or something, down there munching on uh, Luffy's fallen onigiri balls. Uh, isn't that actually our teapot friend that is part Tanuki? I don't remember which way it is. I think that's probably what it is, but, you know, either way, he's half and half. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> our very strange friend. Indeed. What a guy. I think that takes us into the chapter proper, chapter 1009, entitled Naraku. We're back in the castle, boys. Here we go. Going to start off with Kaneman, pretty much as confused as I am. <laughs> Personally, I had not realized that the Red Scabbers were, like, right next to Orochi at the end of last week. So, I don't, I don't know. I was just a little shocked that it opened with this, personally. I don't think they were, like, literally right next to each other at the end of the last chapter. But I guess along their respective paths, one to find Momonosuke and the other to just set a large fire. They just so happen to cross paths here in front of this lovely screen. Yeah, that's pretty much what I decided would make the most sense as well. Certainly is fateful, though. What a group these boys are. Well, yeah, fateful for this to be quick and easy. <laughs> Quite so. Especially since, like, Fukuro Kuju just gave away any semblance of an advantage that Orochi had. Like, he just straight up says, hey, they don't know that you already died once, telling them that... He already died once. Maybe he just whispered it into his ear. That could be, yeah. <laughs> he is standing much closer than he is to the rest of the group there. And Orochi's ears are pretty big. Indeed. You know what they said about people with big heads? Big ears. Usually. And bitter teeth, no doubt. Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> Futura Nojo decides he will be the one to stall them, but... Orochi's like, well, I don't have anywhere else to go anyway, and they're all banged up, so I can take them. Don't worry about me. Turns out maybe he can't, though. Yeah, I hope he's gone for good. That's pretty much where I'm at. Now, I would like to take a minute to overanalyze this panel, uh, <laughs> where he's being sliced up real good. I kind of figured you'd uh, go in depth here. So, as you know, Orochi's got eight total heads, right? Mm -hmm. We don't see how many heads he's got total when he transforms in this particular panel right we see above and the one in the center above the large panel only six i think yeah i think at most we see six so we don't see his maximum for sure so we don't know that he actually respawned with eight fully grown heads and then in the large panel down below i can only see six heads get sliced 
right? Mm -hmm. So from what we see, he might have one remaining. But I think that would also be kind of strange if that turned out to be true. Because there are seven red scabbards there. Nine. And then you subtract Ashura Doji and Ido Arashi. So seven left. Mm -hmm. So it would be strange if one of them just didn't slice ahead. And if one of them didn't slice ahead, if they just decided to let one of them go. Right. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So I think Orochi probably is dead for real now. But we don't really see it and this would be the second time he would be reviving himself so we'll see what happens with that i suppose uh we better it's it's weird orochi comes back for i don't know what two two chapters maybe uh starts a fire and is gone like i don't i don't quite understand what's going on here like what the narrative point would be yeah but I'm intrigued to see where it leads. I mean, if this is where he dies, like for real, I do think it would have been better for him to just have died the first time when Kaido killed him. But I also kind of understand as well wanting to give the scabbards, the people most directly affected by Orochi being a scumbag, being the one to finish him off. But, you know, what else are these guys going to do, I guess? Uh, yeah. They already lost to Kaido. <laughs> Right. All the other like big names on Kaido's crew pretty much are being attended to by other big names that we already know. I guess they do deserve a win of some sort. And if that's the case, then yeah, this had better be the end of Orochi because once you bring someone back multiple times, it really just loses a lot of the oomph behind it, you know? Indeed. Now, it could turn out to be kind of like a running joke that Orochi just keeps it in his head sliced off and gets revived, but... Okay, yeah, if if they did turn it into a joke, I'd be into that, but considering how awful Orochi is, maybe I actually wouldn't be. <laughs> <laughs> maybe. I just, I want him gone. He's He sucks. He sure does. And it's also strange that if he is really dead here... Why is Fukuru Nojo continuing to fight on his behalf? Right, yeah. He even says here that he and Raizo kind of had a beef prior to this whole Kurozumi Kozuki thing. But, you know, there's a limit, guy. Get out of there with your life while you can. Your big forehead's a target. Yeah, your boss is dead. <laughs> yeah. But that does seem to set up a Kaizo, or not Kaizo, uh, Raizo. Fukuro Nojo ninja fight, so that'll be fun to see if it, we actually do get to see it. Yeah, two master ninjas. I don't know if we've ever really had a chance to see that in the world of One Piece. Certainly not. The only real ninja combat we've seen at the high levels has been Raizo a little bit against Kaido, and I think the lesser ninjas have done individual things along Wano's path so far, but I'm pretty hyped up for this fight. Hope we actually get to see it, but it's certainly a lower priority uh -huh. i feel uh -huh. i wouldn't be surprised if this somehow turns out to be another easy win maybe yeah it also kind of seems like with each chapter starting last chapter maybe one per chapter one of the red scabbards splits off into his own smaller battle like how inu arashi did against jack last chapter and now Rizo and this guy yeah if that's how it's gonna go we have a lot ahead of us huh Indeed, we're going to be following these scabbards on their way to Momonosuke for some time now. <laughs> I'll buckle up. I'll, I'll take that ride. Indeed. That is the last we see of them in this chapter, though. We spend the remaining of the chapter on the rooftop with Kaido, Big Mom, and our five main lads. It's a pretty exciting time up there. <laughs> a lot going on. Kaido and Big Mom making plots to give them the big one, planning a big old attack against him. We find out here that confirmation of something we suspected for some time, that Law's powers indeed do not work on someone whose hockey is very strong. So he can't just poof him away to somewhere else. And I'm not sure they would want to, even if that were the case. Right. I am glad to see the confirmation, though. I've been wondering that for a long time. It's kind of been my headcanon for some time now, ever since the, the Virgo 
law fight mm, mm-hmm. way back when. But now we're getting confirmation with the man's own mouth. So that's pretty dope. Yeah. Speaking of pretty dope things, <laughs> Zoro blocks possibly the strongest attack in One Piece right now. Uh, yeah, only for a second, as claimed by Kid. But yeah, he does block it for a sec. Well done. Would you agree that this is probably the highest power single move in this world right now? Maybe. I mean, Whitebeard's big earthquake thing he did on Marineford, like in terms of scale, I think was much larger than what we see here. And I would think that Whitebeard and Roger's clash during the flashback probably stronger than this just by like how much those characters have been hyped up well sure but they're all dead (laughs) (laughs) sure but this is also two people of comparable strength to those two guys at the same time so quite possibly yeah i think it just might be yeah it's it's certainly up there regardless so Mm -hmm. i'm wondering if this is going to put zoro out of commission for a while yeah, we see a couple times throughout the rest of this chapter that he's, like, really feeling it. <laughs> like, he's collapsed the best time we see him mm-hmm, when mm-hmm. Uh, they've recovered from the attack. And he's like, I I think I'm alive. So. I, I feel for him. <laughs> like, Zoro, I like Zoro well enough. He's never been, like, one of my top characters. But this definitely pushes him up there. I love a good self-sacrifice. Indeed. Beefy man, this Zoro. Good lord. Again, it was only for a second, but... Being able to block this to any extent. Even Kid says it's quite a feat. Uh, yeah, I'm taking everything that Kid says with a grain of salt, but yeah. <laughs> you don't trust him? It's not that I don't trust him. I have a note later on that says that he has firmly solidified himself as a side character in my mind. So, Oh, I'll be interested to see why you think that. But yep, they all survive. We get confirmation in case anyone was... Really doubting it for some reason that Kaido has observation hockey. So that's pretty cool. And Luffy takes another swing at him. Sure does. This turn that Luffy has taken is very exciting. I mean, I love seeing him kind of start to play some mind tricks with Kaido a little bit. Because, <laughs> like, Talking he, some real trash. Right. Yeah, he's, he's got this confidence and he's riding it. So even though it does cause him to take a direct hit from the... I don't know, club mace spike thing. I still like it. I mean, this is how Luffy's supposed to be. He's not supposed to back down. Indeed. Real persistent guy. But he does, like we said, he's talking trash, makes a comment, oh, you dodged that one, Kaido? Guess that means it was probably going to hurt. Kaido doesn't respond. He just keeps on swinging and deals uh, some hefty damage to Luffy's poor hands. His poor little little fingies. Yeah, this is a pretty important hit i would think the fact that luffy kind of recoils and we see his hands being affected in some way it makes me very worried for the next hit that he takes so like yeah he gets hit and sent flying then kaido comes rushing in and does sort of like a hyper beam move (laughs) yeah i guess so yeah which luffy jumps out of the way of which is great but then Kaido comes in with the Conqueror of Three Worlds Ragnarok, which, I mean, it looks cool. There's no doubt about that. But in that picture, Luffy pretty undeniably being hit. But also, we're only seeing his feet. So, like, in theory, he could have still gotten a block up that we don't see. But I'm kind of worried about it because of the last hit, you know? Indeed. Uh, a couple things about that. The panel after he blocks the first hit from Kaido, where he's like recoiling, mm-hmm. he's like holding his hands like, oh no, pain. This is reminiscent to the fight with Katakuri, where he took similar hits, and it was just kind of stinging his hands. So I think it's a testament to how much Luffy has evolved since then, that he can now take similar amounts of damage from hits from characters a tier up from Katakuri, possibly several tiers up. So that's pretty good for him. As for him getting hit by this Ragnaroki move, I think he probably did take a direct hit. Like you said, we don't see his arms in the panel where he actually gets smashed, so it's possible he got a block off. But it also kind of looks like he's getting hit directly in the dick. 
uh, we'll see. <laughs> we'll see how that goes for our boy here. Yeah, it can't be comfortable no matter what's going on. Mm-mm. That's the last of Luffy we see in this chapter. Uh, we pop over to our boys, the other four, and uh, look at them using their brain, their collective one brain cell. Well, maybe two if you include Law, between the lot of them. Yeah, this plan is pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm into it. As far as I can tell, it's got to be Law's plan because it's <laughs> it's surgical in nature, in my opinion, you know? Mm-hmm. He isolated Zeus without causing any damage to him, which I think lends to saying that Nami might end up getting Zeus. All gift-wrapped for her as well. Yeah, right? It's beautiful. <laughs> but that allows... Zoro to move into cut Prometheus with the technique that he had learned from Kinemon. Pretty cool as well, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which throws Big Mom off her balance enough to, I guess, sort of like stop paying attention to Napoleon so Killer can come in and remove him from the situation. Is that pretty much what happened here? I think in the same panel where Zoro first takes a swing at Prometheus... I think you can also, it's hard to tell, but I think Killer is also up there near Napoleon, knocking him out of Big Mom's hands at the same time. See, yeah, I saw that, and I thought maybe it was concurrent, but I also thought that that gives Killer a little bit too much credit. Just because I I don't know if we've actually seen him do that many impressive things, and to, like, knock Napoleon out of Big Mom's hand, it seems like that would take a lot. Maybe that's just me downplaying him, but... He did deal some damage to Kaido a couple chapters ago with that weird, like, sonic blade move. Still not very clear what was happening in that panel, but... He did do something to Kaido, and it could also just be that, like, oh, Zoro sliced Prometheus first, and now she's, like, off balance or off guard or... Well, that's what I something. that's what I said. Oh. <laughs> uh, big if true, but... In the panel, it does look like they're happening at the same time. So I guess I'll just say that it's my headcanon that Zoro was first. <laughs> gotcha. I just feel like he would need an opening. I don't know if Big Mom would let her guard down enough otherwise. Uh, maybe. I mean, we see like on the following page, after the bit where Killer's chasing down Napoleon, that she's more than willing to just tank attacks that she thinks she can take. <laughs> so That's true. I don't know if... Uh, Big Mom constantly having her guard up is necessarily the case. That's a good point. I hadn't considered that. And it doesn't really matter which way it is. Indeed. Uh, Zoro slices up Prometheus quite a few times. Our poor fireball lad taking some bid damage. Like you said, killer chasing down <laughs> poor Napoleon. He's just a sword. Leave that poor lad alone. Kid here sees an opening, I suppose. Takes some shots with some harpoons. They deal no damage, and he takes a big ol' hit from Big Mom right in the head. Poor guy. <laughs> it, yeah, it has to be a bad time for him. But I think it's all part of the plan, considering this is what leads up to our big cliffhanger. Uh, that's true. I mean, I think ideally, Kid would have preferred to grab her arm without getting smooshed in his poor kid face, but... That's had to be if that's what it had to be to make this happen. Take one for the team, I guess. Well, I don't know how else he would get underneath Big Mom. Uh, true. He has to get that angle right. And pretty much everything that happened had to happen to get to this situation. But again, I just don't see this being his plan. This is why I said that he solidifies himself as a side character. I can totally picture <laughs> Law just being like, "All right, kid." This is your job. You go in, you make her mad, throw her in the air, and that's it. You're done. Like, just give him the orders, hope that he can do it, and then take care of the actual hard work yourself. Sure. I mean, this whole operation does seem to be a little more larger-brained than what Kid has shown to be capable of previously. So, yeah, I guess it probably was Law just kind of taking charge of the situation with his theoretically larger intellect yeah he at least seems like more of a strategic mind whereas kid is you know a blunt object with a lot of force behind it (laughs) quite so 
it does also kind of turn out because of this plan that uh, our discussion from last week about what the pairings were going to be, who was going to take on Big Mom and who was going to take on Kaido. Mm-hmm. I don't even remember like what specifically we were talking about with that. But the plan turns out was to just remove Big Mom from the situation altogether, not to uh, divvy them up and <laughs> defeat them individually. Just push Big Mom off the roof. No big deal. Easy. Yeah. Turns out it kind of was. <laughs> yeah. They did kind of still split it up, though. I don't know if they... I don't know if these four would have had this opportunity against Big Mom if Luffy hadn't gone straight into trying to solo Kaido again, you know? I think Luffy is really showing up by keeping his attention long enough for all of this to happen. Indeed. Odds are Luffy doesn't even, like, know about this plan. He just went after Kaido, and Law took that into account <laughs> when making the plan. Yeah, right? <laughs> like, he's mostly acting on instinct, and everyone just has to deal with that. Indeed. Classic Luffy. But we don't really think this is going to be the end of Big Mom, at least for this fight, right? I mean, she's got to come well, back. Well, no. <laughs> I've, been, I've been trying to think of how she gets out of it pretty much since I stopped reading it. My, my first thought was wondering where Perospero is, but he's currently uh preoccupied her boat is out there somewhere maybe smooth maybe smoothie saves her yeah those were kind of my two ideas as well last time we saw Pero sparrow he was like in that main room like glaring at marco from a distance or something i think right just after dealing with sulong carrot and wanda correct but we see in this little panel where you can see Onigashima, like, above Big Mom, she's already fallen beyond where Perospero is. Right. So, don't know how he would save her at this point. But, again, like you said, there is also her ship and the rest of the Big Mom pirates out there somewhere. Last we saw them, they got kicked off the waterfall for a second time. And for some reason, it took them several weeks to get back up it the first time that happened to them. So maybe they just kicked it in the turbo speed or something. Or maybe Zeus will just get out somehow. Don't know, but don't think Big Mom is dying here. No, but we don't know of any like flyers on her crew or anything. Not that she couldn't have them. Her crew is huge. But considering she can usually rely on either Prometheus or Zeus... I don't think that she would worry about this almost ever. True. Do you think that she could, like, imbue her soul into something on the way down and make, like, a homie out of something to save her? Do you think that might be possible? Uh, Quite possibly. I mean, I don't see any reason why not. We've seen her, like, imbue objects with soul power on the fly previously. So she might even have, like, souls from other people just kind of stored up in her body somehow to be thrown around as she pleases. And if she, well, she grants these things life, right? But it doesn't really seem to grant them abilities beyond what they already have as what they are, right? So she imbued her soul into a thundercloud. It's still just a thundercloud. It doesn't get abilities beyond being a thundercloud aside from being able to like talk and all that so even if she did throw a soul bit into like a falling rock or something that's not going to give that rock the ability to fly or whatever right yeah it's not going to make the rock float or anything right Mm. so i'm not sure what she could imbue her soul into to save her from this but maybe but to briefly go back to what you're saying about big mom's crew out of the people that we saw on the boat the only person I could think that could maybe get her out of this situation if they were close enough would be a Daifuku, the genie guy. Sure, I could see him summoning his little genie boy to catch her or something. And that guy is very large, so he probably does have the strength to swipe Big Mom out of the sky. And like, uh, Flampe does float around. (laughs) That is also true. (laughs) And they gotta be watching this floating onigashima spectacle right like they just have to be yeah no doubt it's visible from a long distance (laughs) yeah 
And Big Mom herself is quite large, so it might even be able to see her falling from a fair distance, depending on, you know, how far they actually are. Yeah, hopefully we can find out what actually happens next week. No guarantee that we'll be still on this storyline, but I think we'll get one more. That's my expectation. I'd hope so. I mean, we've only really been back into this Big Mom Kaido confrontation for two chapters now and hasn't even been like the focus of the entire chapter. So I'm hoping at least one more to resolve this big mom situation, but you know, Oda does as Oda likes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We'll see how that goes. No break next week though. The next chapter 1010 will hit on April 11th. I believe that takes us into the news segment. Only a couple of things to talk about today. First up, a new batch of dub episodes, this time 681 to 693, still on Dress Rosa, are coming to Microsoft Movies and TV on April 6th, so that should be available by the time this episode goes live on Tuesday. So if you're a fan of the dub, now's your chance to get caught up a little bit more. Don't know why, but they've been really speeding through these dubs the last several months, so that's excellent news for those who consume the media that way. And then in more solemn news, probably going to butcher the man's name, and I apologize for that, but Kanue Tanaka. He is the actor who is the inspiration for Kizaru's design. You know how all the admirals are based off of like real-life Japanese actors? Mm-hmm. He just passed away a couple of days ago at the age of 88 years old, and he's the final of the four admiral inspiration actors to do so. So rest in peace, Mr. Tanaka. You will be missed. That's all I have for the news segment for this week. I believe that takes us right on into the reread, covering manga chapters 130 and 141. That takes us, starts Drum Island, up into the beginning of the Chopper flashback. Take it away. I had a lot of thoughts during the <laughs> rereading of this area. All right, lay them on me. Well, yeah, that is that is the plan here. Sorry, I didn't mean to rush you. I'm just hyped up. Give me your thoughts, Jordan. <laughs> so we're in this situation where Nami just suddenly gets sick due to the change in weather, and it's hectic. No one knows what's going on. Uh, Vivi has sort of this... Um, I don't know what to call it. This heroic moment, I guess, where she almost makes it seem like She's putting herself first, but then she does a little, like, gotcha, I actually meant, let's help your navigator first. It's cute, it's nice, it's, you know, it's part of why she's seen as one of the, like, honorary crew members by a lot of people. True, yeah. We're starting with this air of just chaos, basically. Like, without their navigator, they are stuck in a bad situation. But... In all of this, while they're freaking out, we find out that neither Sanji nor Usopp nor <laughs> Luffy have ever been sick. Indeed. So, like, that's probably one of the more fantastical facts that I know about One Piece now. So that's uh, that's cool. Very healthy boys, those three. I assume Zoro is the same way. He just wasn't there to add on. I would imagine so, yes. And then they actually arrive at Drum Island which is pretty much the opposite of their arrival at Whiskey Peak. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Everyone looks real friendly on the outside, but they're assassins. And then here at Drum Island, they get shot at, even though it's accidental. But they get shot at by some people that actually seem all right. True. It's a very cool moment for Luffy and Vivi there. Yes. Because up until then, Luffy just kind of been, like we were talking about in the manga chapter for this week, it's kind of acting on instinct up until this point, but in this moment, he's kind of learning a lesson in leadership from Vivi when they have to choose not to fight in order to win over the townsfolk to save Nami. So, one point towards leadership. <laughs> mm-hmm. A very important lesson for Luffy to learn, but also, I don't think that... Uh, I, I don't know if anyone on the crew would be where they are or even alive if Luffy had not been acting on his impulsive tendencies up until now. So like True. while it is a fair criticism for sure, especially in that situation, like 
it's also helped him a lot. Well, no doubt. But in this instance and others going forward as Luffy progresses as captain, every now and then you got to use your brain. <laughs> That's all Vivi's saying here. Yeah, he's working on it. I also have always thought it's pretty convenient that right when Nami gets sick and they need a doctor, the next island they happen to stumble upon while looking for one, without the log pose, mind you, they're just wandering the sea looking for an island, something that's not really known to be possible in the One Piece world. The one they stumble upon, Drum Island, is famous for his medical science. Now, granted... It's not so convenient that when they happen to get there, all the doctors are gone except for one, and she lives on a giant mountain (laughs) in a big old castle in a snow island. So that's not so great, but it is pretty convenient that one doctor is very good at what she does. Yeah, no doubt that this is just some... Like, there was a very obvious tee up to get them here. (laughs) But also, I feel like they... Well, no, because we know that the sickness only lasts like five days, so we know that they didn't meander about for a while. Hmm. Which is one of the weirder things, because we do know that Waffle, who is familiar with the island, took a while to get back to it after he dipped previously. That's true. I guess he fled a long distance (laughs) before trying to return. Yeah, he made so many poor choices. So many. Had to make sure they were well clear of the Blackbeard Pirates before trying to make their way back. That's fair. Fair enough. Yeah. Scary guy. Yeah, when you you put it in perspective of, yeah, Blackbeard, I guess, running away as far as you can does make sense. Mm -hmm. So we have the moment between Vivi and Luffy, and they eventually allow these pirates that they're very wary of to come into their village so that they can hopefully get treated. But turns out that the doctor is... At the top of a ridiculously tall, well, plateau. It's not really a mountain. It's quite flat at the top. I believe it's called Drum Rock. So hearing this, Luffy decides, well, okay, no big deal. I will just take Nami there, which is all well and good. It's very in character for Luffy, but it leads to a very wholesome moment that I probably skimmed over when I originally read through this, right after Luffy leaves, Dalton urges Usopp and Vivi to come back inside because it's cold, and they both refuse and decide to stand out there sort of in solidarity with Luffy and Nami and Sanji. And I just think that Mm -hmm. it's a nice little crew moment, especially since Usopp is definitely working towards his brave warrior of the sea thing, and Vivi is, well, still learning of the outside world. So for these two to have found friends that make them feel this way just feels good to me. Yeah, and Dalton notices that's what they're doing. He's like, all right, I like you guys. I'll sit out here too and tell you a fun story about how terrible our kingdom was (laughs) up until recently. Yeah, dude needs to learn about time and place. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that, That would be a real downer. I guess he just wanted to tell a story and... That's the most interesting one that he had to go with on the top of his head. So, Fair enough. He could have also led with, by the way, I can transform into a cool bison man. But I guess he was keeping that in his back pocket for other situations. That's probably his party trick. (laughs) (laughs) The transformation is definitely something I wanted to bring up. Because I'm pretty sure the first time that he transforms... It's while he's riding a horse. So, like, <laughs> yeah, that's this true. poor horse is just running along, doing its job, holding up a dude. And then suddenly the dude is a bull, a full-on bull <laughs> man. I don't know how that horse survived. He jumped off the horse before he was full-size bull man, I hope. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we see him running alongside the horse after he's completed the transformation, but we don't know how we got from point A to point B here. We don't know at what point he leapt off and let the horse do its thing. But Yeah, maybe maybe the horse is used to this. That's... I mean, maybe. That might just be Dalton's horse. So he's probably seen this before, if that's the case. Hmm. So when Luffy is like gearing up to actually head out on this journey, I noticed that he just suddenly has a sword strapped onto his back. 
I guess, as a way of securing Nami, but it was never addressed or brought up or seen again. Because he's just kind of wearing like his regular clothes. He has his winter jacket at one point, and then suddenly sword on his back. Hmm. Like, why, why not just use a piece of wood or something? I don't know. Something slightly less stabby, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and slightly less metal in the winter. Uh, again, overthinking, but it's fun too, so whatever. <laughs> I'll forgive it this one time. <laughs> yeah. You already brought up Blackbeard. This was the first mention of him. Uh, yep, certainly is. Yeah, and he's he's set up to be terrifying right from the start. I mean, just five pirates went in, and the town was basically in shambles before they even knew what was happening so indeed i don't think it's especially impressive that they scared off wapole <laughs> not especially the most courageous man no but uh five guys on the grand line that's pretty rare right yeah so they they're making a name for themselves i would agree that wapole is definitely far from the most courageous man but would imagine that if he put his mind to it, he could actually be a pretty terrifying enemy. I guess like so. in in this chunk, we see after the avalanche, we see him open his mouth to be like the size of the village. That's terrifying. Uh, pardon? Does he really get open his mouth that wide? <laughs> after the avalanche, his mouth opens up and he eats all the snow and like two underlings and spits them out jeez i'm i'm like 80 percent sure I mean, on this now you got me worried i mean i remember that scene but in my head he just like opened it up you can see the rest of the village like around him so i don't think he, like he swallowed the town <laughs> or anything close to that size well no but you see you see the roof of buildings and then you see his mouth go above that oh. well that'll depend on how how badly he got buried i suppose but and he's already like a pretty big guy as is so i don't know there's no doubt about that it's just i would be scared if i saw that happen in real life so <laughs> no doubt about that if i didn't bring it up during our discussion <laughs> i would be very sad but you also have to consider the other showings we saw from Wapole throughout the rest of this little chunk. In the span of one chapter, the chapter he's introduced, right? And he's the main villain of this arc, you gotta remember. He gets easily blasted away <laughs> by Luffy in the same chapter he was introduced. He kind of gives Luffy a run for his money a little bit later, kinda, but only because Luffy can't fight back because he's carrying Nami at the time. Not a great showing for him. <laughs> yeah, I'm not saying Wapple is strong in any way. I'm more saying that this is another good example of like, like the only reason that the gum gum fruit is like actually good is because Luffy ate it, right? Like someone else could have eaten this and they would not have known how to properly use it or like they wouldn't have gotten it as young so it wouldn't be second nature to them or sure. whatever mm -hmm. it's the same thing with waffle i think that if the correct person had that fruit it could be pretty scary not that waffle is because i hate him and i was going to bring that up later but may as well just say it now <laughs> waffle sucks uh sure yeah especially considering we don't see this in this chunk of chapters but the secondary ability of waffles fruit is to eat stuff and combine it with his body so that can be a very scary fruit, if done correctly. I mean, again, this doesn't happen on this chunk, but later on he eats his two dudes, mashes them into one dude, spits them back out. But he could have just, like, stolen their abilities for himself, pretty much. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. It could have some very interesting implementations. I bet Blackbeard would love to have that fruit. But instead it belongs to an idiot, so... <laughs> Poor guy. How do we feel about Chopper's introduction? How are you feeling about the Chopper question right about now? The, the Chopper question? Yeah. <laughs> do you mean how do, how do I feel about Chopper in general? Yeah. 
Specifically, I'm talking about his introduction here, but sure, in general. I don't have a problem with it. Uh, I actually enjoyed it this time around. Usually, when I think back on Drum Island as a whole, it is not with fondness. Oh. This is, in my head, one of my least favorite of the arcs, usually. Poor Choppy. Well, it's not Chopper. It's like... It lacks a lot of the action that previous locations have had. Like, Luffy can't fight back. Like, they fought rabbits. <laughs> Dalton fought Wapple for a little bit, I guess. But that's pretty much it. Otherwise, it's a pretty talky, exposition-heavy chapter. Um, yeah, even going forward, we get Luffy versus Wapple and the other two versus chopper etc but not too much going on in terms of combat here right also like another reason for me not enjoying it so much like these designs are among some of my least favorites like wapple's designs and his two dudes dalton's design none of those are uh aesthetically pleasing to me personally but i can't believe you're not a fan of how chess and kuro marimo look Hot take there, Jordan. Yeah, Hot I know. Take. I'm sure I'm going to make a lot of people <laughs> mad with this one. <laughs> but during this second read, I think I've realized how important this arc is. Like, this gives the audience more insight to the world's politics, which we've gotten little tastes of here and there, mostly with Vivi and Crocodile, right? Mm -hmm. But here we see that, like, corrupt governments are a dime a dozen. They're everywhere here. And sometimes they just do have this, just this fool that thinks that they can do it. They can, they can do whatever they want. But it's important to get a refresher of like, well, I don't know. Luffy kind of just does this because he likes beating people up. <laughs> but the politics are always there. Like it is, no matter what, it's yeah. all driven by politics because that's just how this world has developed, you know? That's the power cycle here. Sure. And I think it's also important to have a character to juxtapose against Vivi. So we've been told all this time, but until now, like, oh, Vivi has to get back to her country because it's bad there and she's a good leader. But then to show her leadership style and how much she cares about her people compared to Wapole, who is quite literally the worst man and worst leader to ever live, mm -hmm. right? That does a reasonable amount for Vivi's character as well. And we also get a lot of fun little crew moments throughout this bit, which, you know, not vital to the narrative, but I do like seeing them. So that's always fun. Are you referring to, like, when Vivi is dragging Usopp by the nose and then Zoro sees him, <laughs> like that kind of thing? That exact one. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. The dad where Usopp is unconscious. Vivi's just beating the stuffing out of his face <laughs> to wake him up. He gets all swollen. And then when they see Zoro a little bit later, the only reason he recognizes Usopp is he zooms in on his nose. And oh, yeah. Peak One Piece comedy. <laughs> yeah, that zoom in, oof, it hits so good. <laughs> Too good. On the opposite end of the scale of, like, just scenes that made me feel good. So this is going to be a scene that makes you feel bad. Is that what I'm to understand? <laughs> or one that you did not like as much? No, I'm bringing up another one that I enjoyed very much. Oh, okay. You said the opposite end of the scale, so I was scared. Well, it's the opposite end of like the serious, goofy scale. Oh, okay. Because, yeah, we go from... I don't remember the exact order, but we might go from that scene with Vivi and Usopp and Zoro to... Jumping back to Luffy, like, climbing Drum Rock. And it's mm -hmm. only, like, four or five pages of him climbing. But, man, did that hit me in the heart for some reason. I can't even imagine how excruciating that must have been for Luffy. That big old mountain. He's got someone on his back and in his mouth, barehanded, and at, like, it was 14 degrees when they got there, probably even colder at high altitudes. Yeah, and he can't he can't stretch up because it would jostle Nami, mm -hmm. and 
they specifically comment on it earlier where Sanji's like, are you even wearing socks? Just looking at your feet makes me cold. <laughs> took off his shoes. Luffy is the opposite of prepared for this. And he just grits his teeth and gets through it. This was a great scene. Like, it made me think of Goku climbing the Karin Tower, because, sure, he did that for, like, a few days or whatever. But I was like, this is possibly a nice nod to that. Regardless, it's a nice Luffy scene that does not involve just beating the crap out of someone. And for that, I greatly appreciate it. And then he makes it to the top. He's on the verge of death, just like... Nami and Sanji are. And when choppers gather them all up, he grabs them on the arm. He's like, help my friends. And brings a little tear to my eye. <laughs> yeah, he never prioritizes himself. It happens again and again and again. But then they quickly recover and get back to their kooky antics. <laughs> Run around the castle trying to eat chopper. And they'll never stop. <laughs> yeah. Like I said, I did not before think kindly on this arc but now like it is so emotionally tense and like just the start of chopper's backstory had me tearing up a little bit i was just like oh man no one accepts this little guy and then like luffy shows up and he's just like you're weird please come with me (laughs) nothing could be better for chopper in this situation and it it tugs at my heartstrings luffy didn't even know he was a doctor (laughs) at that time he was just like right I like you. Come along. Yeah, it's pretty peak One Piece energy. It's not the, you know, punching a celestial dragon in the face energy. (laughs) It's the everyone loves Luffy and his extremely strange energy. Energy. (laughs) Indeed. Now, talking about the beginning of the flashback that we're into a little bit, I don't remember... Dr. Hiloluk's introduction kind of painted him as much of a douche as it kind of does. Yeah. It kind of feels like we're meant to like sympathize with this guy a little bit with how he like helps Chopper and all that stuff. But in those first two pages, he robbed and burned down somebody's house, attempts to treat somebody. By the time he's left that same house, he's left that little girl there alone with I assume a dead father and a tranquilized mother. (laughs) But he was nice Mm. to Chopper, and he was trying to help that family. So I guess that's something. Yeah, I I like the idea behind him. Like, at its core, it sounds almost like a D&D character that I would like to play. Like, (laughs) just a healer that refuses to quit. And refuses to learn medicine. (laughs) Yeah, but in this situation, oh boy, I did not like him. He had a very rough start. And it's weird, because, like, that thing, he was trying to help that guy, right? But the thing where he robbed and burned down someone's house, it doesn't seem to jive with the rest of the stuff we know about Hirolook going forward. And it's the first thing he does. It's just very strange. We didn't even get an explanation for it. Like, he says that he doesn't accept payment from people. He just wants to help. And yet the first thing that he does is robbing a place. What is this guy? I guess he can't take money from patients because he's fine because he just robs people sometimes. (laughs) It makes no sense to me. Unless he's like some sort of Robin Hood character, but that's certainly never laid out for us. I mean, he was whining about how little money <laughs> the people he just robbed has, so I can't imagine they were especially rich. Yeah. I like Hear the Luke. I just think this first showing is very strange for what he goes on to like represent and do. Very odd. Yeah. Yeah. Very, very I mean, odd. I guess it's him and Kureha left in this town. Everyone else has been driven off, so medicine is weird here which could lend to it a little bit, but I still think it just could have been done better. That's pretty much bottom line for me. Agreed. The only thing I had left was that I wanted to talk about Chopper's devil fruit a little bit and how it's very strange, even in the context of like its category, right? Yeah. For example, zoan types, you know, that's what Chopper's fruit is. 
Zoans let you transform into the full animalized version of whatever your fruit is based off, and also a hybrid version of you and that animal, right? But Choppers doesn't really seem to work that way. Even in his full, quote-unquote, human form, he's not really a dude. He's like a weird, abominable snowman, furry guy, which is not the case for any other devil fruit of that type. Very strange. Don't understand why that would be. Yeah. He also spends most of his time in, like, the mixed form. form. (laughs) Very unusual. Now, I guess... From an emotional standpoint, I can kind of see why he would prefer to be in, like, the middle form, because he was teased off and driven out from his tribe when he was just a reindeer, right? So he probably has some bad memories affiliated with that. And then he was shot at a whole bunch when he was in his man form. So it kind of made sense in my head why he would be most comfortable in the hybrid form. That's true. Kind of. I can kind of justify it that way. Yeah, I mean, Chopper's chock-a-block full of trauma, so... Indeed. It's just so weird that this is the second Zoan that we get in the series, and it's already a huge outlier from all the other Zoans that we go on to know. Yeah, it continues to be to this day, I'm pretty sure. True, yeah, with the Rumble Ball, and now he's got like seven forms he can go into even without the Rumble Ball. Yeah. That chopper, man. Having a blue nose really changes things. (laughs) I guess so. But that's all I had to say. Do you have any other notes on this chunk of chapters no pressing matters no no okay i guess that wraps it up then for this episode like i was saying before no break next week so chapter 1010 will be available on the appropriate apps on april 11th and we'll be back on that appropriate tuesday talking about it thanks for listening and we'll talk to you next time